Hello and welcome to Cruising Forever Reviewsin', the podcast where I get a friend to watch a Tom Cruise movie they've never seen before and then review it with me. I'm your host, Cara Westworth, and today I am joined by Andrew. Hello. Hello, Andrew. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Straight off the bat, everything I just said about what this podcast is about is a lie because I'm breaking my own rules for one time only, one time only so far. We're doing a movie that you have seen before because a couple of reasons. I really want to do a podcast with you because you are a big Tom Cruise fan. It's true. And I don't feel like I've had enough of those on the podcast. And what did you call yourself? A a Thomaser? I did. I did. (laughs) I was trying to figure out if that worked while I was writing it. <laughs> <laughs> it did. I laughed. True Thomas Yeah. And also, the other reason is because the amount of times I put call-outs to people interested in recording an episode with me and not once has anyone expressed interest in doing this episode, or doing this movie. It was stressing me out because I really wanted to review it and no one, yeah, no one seemed, I guess everyone's either seen it or, I don't know, I don't know what the reason was, but it was infuriating. So, you know what? Fuck it. It's my podcast. I can do what I want. That's right. And you need somebody who's willing to come and be a passionate advocate for this movie. And that person is me. Damn straight. It is War of the Worlds from 2015, directed by Steven Spielberg. And the reason why we need people to kind of fight for the movie is because it was not super well received when no, it came I, out. I will, I will correct you very slightly to say it was 2005. Did I say 2015? Oh, fuck. Yeah, I wrote that. Yeah, too too recent. (laughs) Yeah, that's too recent. Uh, As I was saying it, I'm like, oh, that that doesn't seem that long ago. Yeah, 2005. It was around the era where Tom Cruise really pissed off everyone in the world for being too Tom Mm Cruise-y. And people argue, I think Steven Spielberg argues this as well, that that's why the movie didn't do that well. I don't know if that's the whole reason. But yeah, the whole couch jumping episode happened for promo for this movie didn't do him any favors no no i mean i still went and saw the movie at the cinema so yep so did i i enjoyed it greatly i think a lot of people were mad about the ending which you know i'm sure we will we will come to at the end Mm. but this is like it's an interesting period of tom cruise for me because i feel like this was sort of when he started to get out of not just like action movies because he went from you know kind of character actor kind of stuff character piece sort of movies to blockbusters like the sort of um your your top guns and your days of thunder sorts of things and this was around when he started to get into like sci-fi blockbuster tom cruise Mm. which is uh, an interesting transition for me both the really big like special effects driven blockbusters with with steven spielberg minority report is sort of the other one that's very close to this it might have been i think war of the world war of the worlds and minority report back to back from steven spielberg well 2002 was minority report i'm pretty sure yeah so they're pretty pretty close together both got Tom Cruise, both sort of touch on, I think, similar themes. You can definitely look at both of these movies and see them as like uh, Steven Spielberg processing like 9-11 and the surveillance mm. state and war in Iraq and all that kind of stuff in, in different ways. Uh, and then, you know, he went on to doing like Edge of Tomorrow and all the big special effects Mission Impossible movies and stuff. So I feel like this is a an interesting sort of turn in his career when he was doing the very sci-fi sort of stuff. Personally, very big fan of it because a lot of the movies like after this period are all my favorites like the later Mission Impossible movies and yeah all the big actiony 
many sci-fi movies and night and day and more explosions the better. Well, um, I guess this one's this one's also kind of interesting because compared to a lot of his other big blockbusters, I feel like this one goes a lot further to trying to cast Tom Cruise as like a family man, mm. which is not a thing that happens very often in movies. Like often he's he's playing like Ethan Hunt or he's playing like Maverick. He's playing like a bit of a lone wolf character, a bit of an outsider. And I think like something that worked always worked very well for him, particularly earlier in his career. I know that you've uh, talked about movies like The Color of Money. That movie is a really good example of where he's like a character who is simultaneously charismatic and sort of very prickly. Yes. Uh, like in Rain Man, you know, that's also a movie where he's a character who is, is simultaneously, you know, very charismatic and likable, but also can be a total dick. Makes me think of like young Ralph Macchio and stuff. I was watching like the first Karate Kid movie the other day. Oh, yeah. Uh, like him him in that and uh, Crossroads. And I always think about how like young Ralph Macchio had that same sort of thing of like, did a very good job of playing a character who was simultaneously likable, but could also be a real prick in the same movie. Movie, you know, which makes you a bit more of a rounded character, a bit more human, but never really, he's never really playing someone where you're like, I bet that guy's nice to his kids. You <laughs> well, know? this movie, we know straight up that he's not that nice to his kids. No. And there are a few moments in this movie where I kind of don't blame him because there are, yeah, we're, we're going to get into all that. Uh, please excuse my husky voice. I am getting over the worst cold I've possibly ever had. Not COVID, but uh, felt like it could not have COVID. been. No. <laughs> Got my first COVID test. That was exciting. Ooh. Uh, before we get into the movie, we'll just go through the list of characters. So Tom Cruise plays Ray Ferrier. He is like a guy who operates a forklift at the docks. I don't know what you would actually call that position. Yeah, he's like one of the, one of the guys, like a crane operator who loads shipping containers onto yeah, a ship. Yeah, so he's a very blue collar, which is another sort of thing you don't necessarily see a lot from Tom Cruise. Yeah, it uh, like I could absolutely see why somebody watching the movie would not immediately buy that from him, you know? I know I always forget and I'm like, oh yeah, he's like kind of a bit rough in this and I always like straight away get immersed back into it. But yeah, it's, it's something you just don't see much and so you have to get used to again every time you watch the movie. Uh, yeah, so he has two kids. They are Robbie and Rachel who he had with Mary Ann who is played by Mar a very heavily pregnant Miranda Otto who is his ex-wife, probably the main characters we need to know for now. Dakota Fanning plays Rachel. She's about 10 years old at this point. And a kid called Justin Chatwin, who I don't know anything about apart from the fact he's in this movie. Yeah, I was, I was looking him up because I was trying to remember sort of what else he's been in. I think a lot of a lot of TV shows. Oh, oh that's right. He was, um, I think he was the lead in the live action Dragon Ball Z adaptation. Wow. Which was also not very well received. No, I don't imagine uh, he, it was. I don't, I don't think I even knew that was made. So yeah, he, he portrayed Goku in Dragon Ball evolution my goodness wow. all right well let's get into the movie it's a long one so we'll see how we go it opens with heaven narrator who only appears at the start and the very end of the movie it's morgan freeman so you recognize his voice immediately if you're going to pick anyone to do <laughs> you know 45 seconds of narration in your movie why not basically talking about how we've been watched by aliens for a very long time and we got we're complacent about the fact aliens are watching us as if we should have known somehow <laughs> that aliens were watching us yeah we start 
start off with Rafe area operating crane at the docks. His boss, boss is like, hey, come and do another shift. And he's like, no, nah, I can't. It's against union rules. But the real reason is... i got to look after these damn kids. Yeah, he has to look after his children. I did find myself wondering in that scene, now that I kind of know more about allegedly how Tom Cruise conducts himself on movie sets, whether he's actually driving the crane. Because everything that you hear about him in all of like the Mission Impossible movies and all that sort of thing is that anytime that he has to do some form that there's like a physical stunt or anything he just goes oh well I'll learn to do it so that I can do it yeah. on film like in like Mission Impossible 6 where they went hey we're gonna have this wild chopper chase and we'll just we'll green screen you in in a cockpit and he went oh that'll look terrible I'll just learn to fly a helicopter uh, and you can put cameras on it I love that so much <laughs> yeah and um and so like that obviously that sort of stuff and like you know riding motorbikes at ridiculous speed with no helmet on so you can still see his face for the shot and all that sort of stuff mm. and you know I've, yeah I've just seen these stories about him saying oh if he needs to like you know do something with a gun he'll just drill it a million times till he can do it on command on camera and everything and I thought it seems like he would have just learnt to drive the crane because that kind of seems like his bag I feel like that he absolutely would have except apparently this film only took seven months from starting to film to release so if he did know how to operate that crane then he already knew how to do it and I feel like that is probably something he just (laughs) knew how to do like if he can fly all these other things fly you know planes and stuff it's probably like a piece of cake probably just like a half day TAFE course to pick it up (laughs) yeah I would say more than likely he probably knew how to do it and I would say he didn't learn it for this film he just happened to know it for some reason very possible I'm sure he's operated a crane in a Mission Impossible movie that I'm forgetting about yeah so he um, speeds home and he has a very flash car his ex-wife Marianne is already waiting for him Robbie and Rachel his kids are there they are a little bit like Robbie doesn't give a fuck about being there Uh, Rachel is still quite young and still looks forward to seeing her dad yeah basically setting up that his ex was from a very well-to-do family and is quite upper class New Yorker Mm -hmm. whereas he's you know real blue collar rough as guts kind of thing she kind of like disapproves of his crappy house which is fair enough because he has a big fucking car engine sitting on the table no food in the fridge like the kids have to share a, a tiny room together you know it's not ideal but he's he's clearly doing the uh divorce dad role of i just kind of expect her to do everything for the kids and when they come over he's he's just winging it you know for the weekend that yeah. they're occasionally there he's not really it's, it's made pretty clear that he's he's not really pulling his weight as a dad yes not point. at all mary ann and the new partner are going to boston for to visit her parents so you know keep that in mind for later they're so they show some news reports about some electrical storms going on. A bit of foreshadowing as well. Ray makes Robbie play catch at the back at a point, sort of setting up how shitty their relationship is because they have a big fight while they're doing it and Ray ends up like pegging the ball through a window. Real bad father-son dynamic there. And even like... I think a lot of it, particularly things like, you know, forcing him to play catch and that sort of stuff. There's a lot of it that's very uh, symbolic of his kids growing up and growing out of things that he used to do with them and him just not really getting it you know not at all like yeah and even the uh, the youngest daughter is like this isn't how you're gonna reach him like yeah 
you've been real shit, Dad. And then also, like, she's like, what are we going to eat? And he's like, I don't know, order food. And she's like, oh, oh. so she, yeah, just hasn't made it. I just wrote my note was bad dad. That's, <laughs> they said it that beautifully. <laughs> he goes and has a sleep because he worked all night and, you know, he's a bad dad. And while he's out, Rachel orders health food, which he's appalled by. <laughs> so, I, I did find that very funny as like a 2006 type thing that um, A, he doesn't know what hummus is. Mm. B, he makes her face like like he has taken a mouthful of sand, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, the description is like, what? what is this, is the question. And it's like, the answer is, it's hummus. I ordered it from the health food place. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to picture what what is the restaurant, what is the health food place that also delivers, that is serving you a big bucket of hummus. And also it made me laugh because I imagine Tom Cruise is the healthiest man on earth <laughs> and probably only eats health food. So Tom Cruise is very familiar with hummus. <laughs> I think he's very familiar. Makes it an acting tour de force. (laughs) (laughs) So he asks where Robbie is and she's like, he's out. He took your car and left. Ray runs outside as if he's going to catch him in the act. He notices all the neighbours are up looking in the sky and there's all these like hectic clouds and lots of wind, you know, harking back to that thing about there being electrical storms all over the world. Lightning is starting to brew and, you know, the clouds are becoming like circular, kind of like, yeah, real hectic storm seems to be brewing. That is something that we did miss slightly, which was while he's having a sleep, Rachel's watching the news and they're doing that classic, that classic kind of horror movie uh, foreshadowing and backgrounding of, you know, she's flicking across channels and they're talking about these electrical storms that have been knocking out the power in all these cities all over the world. Mm. But they're doing it in that kind of, uh, you know, in that zombie movie kind of way of people are he- you're hearing snippets of audio from the radio or the TV about these things that are happening somewhere else, but no one's quite yeah. sort of clicked to it yet. Which is why it's a little bit annoying when she's like, I don't understand what's happening later, like very, very soon. And I'm like, you were the one watching the news. news. <laughs> Maybe she was just she got distracted by SpongeBob, so Well, the thing that I'm kind of struck by at this point in the movie, right? So they get outside and they see this big, like crazy looking storm. It kind of makes you think of uh like in Independence Day. Mm, yes. Uh, where there's the sort of the huge clouds and light behind them that the ships emerge out of it. It's that sort of that sort of vibe. And I feel like this is about this has to be less than ten minutes into the movie. Yeah, it's pretty early this this movie gets started very quickly and as you said like it's a it's a long movie but at the same time for a movie that is about this sort of stuff they get into shit is kicking off like very quickly they sort of breeze through establishing like ray's character the family dynamic and then they're just then it just starts kicking off Mm. as it does with this storm it certainly does which personally big fan of like eh, we could talk about the family stuff or we could get into the aliens and explosions (laughs) so the yeah, lightning's going berserk and they're at the back. I don't know I don't know what the bridge is. I don't think it's Brooklyn Bridge, but it's some big huge bridge that they almost like in the shadow of. All the clouds are above it and looking looming and all this lightning starts hitting and the lightning is like really quick and intense. She starts panicking a little bit. You know, the wind starts dying down. She goes she's like, I don't like this. And then when it gets really, really crazy, he's like, Oh no, I don't like this either. They run inside. Tom Cruise does an excellent trip on a plastic chair. One of my favorite things Tom Cruise is good at is tripping over chairs 
uh, <laughs> to look realistic. They hide under the table. The lightning's just like going over and over in the same spot, which he tries to reassure like lightning doesn't hit the same place twice, but it just keeps hitting in the same spot. Repeat it like dozens of times, which is definitely terrifying. It knocks out all the power. And when they go outside, when everything kind of dies off a bit, even the cars in the street are dead. Like everything electrical has just died. Like, and even his, I think his watch as well is dead too. He does such a, I, I feel like he does such a good job in, you know, those sorts of scenes. Like he, he sort of swings wildly from when the lightning's starting to happen to kind of like, you know, laughing at his his daughter's nervousness and being like, it's fine, it's just a thing. And then being slightly freaked out himself and then to all the way to, I am also as extremely freaked out as you are by this thing happening as everybody's like scrambling to get under furniture and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, he, do- he does a very good, a very good shocked, which he does need to deploy quite a few times during this movie. Oh yeah. So when he goes outside, he runs into Robbie, comes running home. Obviously the, the car that he nicked from his dad has died. He's running back and he's like, are you okay? Yep. So like lightning hit like 26 times. Where he's like, okay, go back to your sister. I'm going to go have a look and see what's going on. As he's running past, he runs past a, like a local mechanic who's like, oh, all the cars, I, I can't do Brooklyn accents, but if you can imagine, he's <laughs> like, like, oh, the cars are dead. And he's like, what if you try this? And the mechanic's like, no worries, Ray, I'll do it. Another thing to remember for later. He's running up the street and he goes up to like a busy kind of cross sec- uh, intersection where there are lots of people gathered around because there is a spot where the lightning has been hit, hit repeatedly and it's a hole and like he goes and touches a bit of, which I don't know, maybe people are braver than I am. I wouldn't be touching the bitumen <laughs> <laughs> that's surrounding a hole that was created, this massive hole that was created by, you know, lightning hitting, but it's not hot. It's actually icy cold as they're all sort of standing around staring, not sure what to do, including some cops. The ground starts rumbling as if there's something going on down there. All the cops are like, there's nothing down there. There's no water pipes or a subway or anything. And yeah, this is where hell starts to break loose. Yeah, so it's kind of like a really, really intense small space earthquake that starts going on. Uh, the road starts cracking really badly, which starts affecting all the shops. All the windows are smashing and then a church like kind of cracks in half. Like it's, a, it's an amazing combination of like CGI and practical effects in this scene where the road starts busting up, like you said, then it sort of completely splits apart and this big chasm mm. starts opening up and the crack kind of runs all the way down the street and shears the church in two mm. and like one whole half of the church starts like sliding away and there's this amazing shot as they're kind of like pulling along half of a church on the street and there's uh like you know burst water mains shooting water up and the light coming through the window in the church changing angles because the church is like physically moving along in the streets yeah uh, it's a very very Spielbergy bit of like I've had this massive set constructed and we're actually like moving the whole thing around you know I'm trying to remember how they did it because I I was going to watch it again or the behind the scenes but there's actually too many and I didn't have time but I think they did it was must have been a combination of both like it was an actual street in Brooklyn mm. and then I think they actually used more CGI than you'd think in that scene yeah. um, but I know there were sets built as well like for the car stuff and everything but yeah like I was trying to pick where the CGI is like I could see where some of it was but overall it's really hard to pick in this scene um, especially as like the ground like it I don't know how you describe it like it kind of goes up and then down and collapses again like into a big sinkhole yeah and everyone at this point starts running which I think when the ground started to 
cracking. People should have maybe started moving We've a bit already faster. Already been then. moving away, yeah. Yeah, but they were all like just kind of they just step back a bit and then just kind of hover between the cracks and everything. And like, oh god! And then they hear this weird trumpety kind of sound. I don't know how you describe it. And a big old alien ship comes out. I love that noise so much. I love yeah all those yeah kind of sci-fi terrifying robot or alien noises. Amazing. Oh, I think the uh, yeah I think the tripod noise uh, is one of the the coolest noises in cinema in my opinion i remember seeing this in the movies and getting it on the full huge movie sound system you know uh extremely cool like uh like the purge siren or oh yeah yeah those, those <laughs> yeah those kind of terrifying siren end of days kind of sounds uh yeah. make me want to die from terror but also like very exciting so the tripod comes out so it's like this weird disc thing with three legs because steven spielberg loves the idea of the three unnatural legs like in a minority port with those little spider guys which is actually a thing I think in the original War of the Worlds, they did actually yeah. have three legs. Well, yeah, they, they were called tripods in the original yeah. War of the Worlds as well, yeah. I guess then he must have loved that idea enough to have done it in the earlier in Minority Report, although he had been working on this for a long time, so maybe one influenced the other. So when the tripod comes out, it switches on its laser beams, and these laser beams turn people into dust, and it's the coolest effect. Like I highly recommend watching the behind the scenes of this because it's like they'd film people running and then they would do a thing where, they would cut it with footage of um, the clothes being ripped apart with like on strings and that's how they made it look like the clothes yeah. just kind of explode away and then they CGI in the dust for the people just turning into dust. It's a very, it's a cool noise as well when they're kind of poof, like yeah. just kind of uh, you're vaporizing people and there's there's also uh, again like a very strong 9-11 feeling to this as well because it's like in terms of cinema it's very close to like 9-11 happening. Yeah, apparently that's what the, the whole dust on him was inspired by 9/11. Yeah, yeah. So so you have these scenes of like chaos in the streets and people running through and coming out the other side with all this ash all over them and uh has, you know, all that a lot of that sort of strong symbolism of of those moments. And uh like it makes me think of how um like Oliver Stone's World Trade Center movie came out like a year after this. So Oh, did it? Yeah, it's it's so it's clearly around this sort of time, like, you know, within five years of 9-11 happening. They're still really like it's still like a very very sensitive thing in terms of cinema and how people are processing it and alluding to it and having depictions of it in movies mm. which maybe Steven Spielberg should have bear should bear in mind that might have affected why the movie didn't do so well maybe maybe people weren't quite ready or well, Americans anyway especially like to be filmed in New York and they make like they reference like oh my god is it terrorists kind of thing yeah time, yeah so. well there's a whole bunch of points in this that um I will probably continue to point to as we go past them <laughs> Where, where, yeah, it's obvious that this is this is part of him processing kind of America dealing with both 9-11 and this constant kind of uh, environment of thinking that everything's terrorism and being scared of everything, being scared of invading forces, all that kind of stuff. Yes. But also even when they, there's a shot where someone drops their camcorder and they actually film through the camcorder and you can see all the people yeah. getting vaporized in as well. That's yeah probably heavily influenced by the fact most of all the footage we saw of 9-11 was from mm. people's personal cameras. Ray starts running and 
a beautiful Tom Cruise run ah, in this scene. It's a classic. Like, uh, it's designed to look like one shot and it's so well done because most of it's on the street. So actually like on set, out, like on location and he's running through and then he just kind of ducks into a to like a shop, clothing shop. And there's like, they're so subtle little cuts from when he goes back out into the street again. And that's like a car comes smashing through the window and everything, but it's so well done. Like it looks like one shot, but yeah, it's just a few cuts where they showed going between sets and on location. It's it's a I, I would classify this one as well as a like a panicked Tom Cruise run as opposed to like I think a lot of the ones that we think of are like the purposeful Tom Cruise run yeah. you know the uh, I'm I'm chasing to catch a bad guy kind of run and this yes. is an absolutely panicked I am just trying to get out of the space that I am in yeah. run he gets he gets a bit of a purposeful run when he's like really sprinting down the street and all the buildings behind him are starting to like explode and yeah. so he's like going absolutely full pelt. But yeah, up until that, he's kind of like having to dodge people and like getting blown aside by things, flying through windows and all that. Uh, so yeah, two very distinct Tom Cruise styles of runs, but <laughs> both excellent. Like he's really perfected it by this point. Um, he gets home completely in shock. They're like, what is all the stuff on you? And he looks in the mirror and realizes like it's the dust of people who have exploded around him, which is absolutely mortifying, mm. obviously. It's a great shot there in the bathroom as he comes into the bathroom and looks at himself. But like there's something about that shot where where the mirror, in a way that doesn't really make sense for Ray's house, the mirror is like immaculately clean. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, she's covered in toothpaste and like yeah, shaving, like yeah. But the way the way that sort of as the camera pans around and his own face is revealed to himself, you know, it's a really really clear image of his own face, mm. and you get to see that horror dawning on him as he realizes what it is all over him and starts trying to get it off. Yeah, dang. Yeah, he makes the kids like pack some supplies really quickly, and he's like, "We've got sixty seconds. We've got to get get the fuck out of here." Like the kids are don't know what's going on, so they're like, "Is it terrorists?" What what the fuck's going on? And like they hurry down, the, hustle down the street as fast as they can. He already has it in his mind that he's going to go back to that mechanic that he saw earlier, I guess hoping that they've been able to fix that car, which they have. And they manage to take the car. They have a little bit of an altercation with the mechanic who's like, oh, Ray, you were right. Got the car going. And Ray's like, all right, well, we're going now and we're taking the car. You can come with us or you're going to die. And as they zoom away from him. The guy the guy thinks he's joking. He is not joking. Yeah. <laughs> no joking because he gets vaporized to dust immediately. Yep. as they're zooming off. So yeah, they're the, like the only car that's working, which come into play very soon. Also, um, yeah, I'm surprised poor people weren't like, what the fuck's going on? Like why? I'd, I would be chasing that car down from the very get-go if I saw it zooming past yeah. and my car was dead. So they zoom off down the down the highway, driving to Mary Ann's house. She must live further out. I don't know exactly where. I was going to work it out, but they live in a very beautiful house outside of New York City somewhere. And they go there, but obviously they've already left for Chicago. Um, so he makes them some sandwiches and they have a big fucking fight and he throws a peanut butter sandwich at the window because he is a bad dad. Well, and I, th I think like thematically, uh, you know how we were sort of saying before that the making his son play catch kind of reflects a... And, and even, even when, you know, the kids first get to the house and the mum takes them upstairs and, you know, they're still sharing a room in his house despite his older son being like, I don't know, 18-ish? Yeah, I assume at least 17. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and you know, she says they're a bit old to be sharing a room. You know, he's still got like a race car bed in there for his eighteen year old son. Yeah. And it just it just generally reflects uh I think the thing that continues to be a theme throughout the movie, which is him sort of needing to also come to terms with the fact that like his kids are growing up as well. Mm. So I think like this is sort of the first point where he's hurling uh, you know, a peanut butter sandwich at the window. This is sort of the first point where he's grappling with the thing that's gonna continue to be the problem for the rest of the movie which is what happens when you're meant to be protecting your kids and you have absolutely no idea what you're going to do or what's happening or how you're going to protect them or keep them safe because you know a big part of being a parent is looking after the kids and also being able to reassure them that things are going to be okay and everything and what happens to your state when all of a sudden you don't feel like you can say that to them anymore yeah he tries to assert like dominance over the kids especially his son and he just keeps calling his dad Ray because he has absolutely no respect for him because like obviously he's been super apathetic about parenting for a long time now like I assume they haven't they haven't been married those two for a while and yeah like he didn't he just forgot that his daughter is deathly allergic to peanut butter so like that's why he kind of throws a tantrum about it and yeah he guess he's like got no control over his kids he's got no control over the situation and yeah these kids that he's kind of ignored for the last however many years and now he has to look after them and he's like I don't even know who these fucking children are like they could be strangers to him really at this point well it makes me think of um you know one of the things that like I've got kids and one of the things that you kind of see other parents talk about or the way you see like other parents talk about their own partners and stuff like that is like when people refer to their own husband looking after their own children as like babysitting Mm. when they say oh you babysitting the kids are you or you have to babysit them for several hours you know I see a lot of examples of guys that do that whole kind of thing of like oh if I just act like I don't know how to look after the kids I don't know I I think they just kind of have this thing of almost acting like you know a bad housemate in a share house where it's like if I just kind of act like I don't really know how to do this thing then people will stop asking me to do it that's exactly what it's like (laughs) yeah except there's people who do that but they act like that with their own kids and they go oh if I just if you know if I'm forced to do something with the kids all day or on the weekend or whatever and I just kind of and I don't keep any food in the fridge and I don't you know keep any clean clothes and I act like I don't know what I'm supposed to do with them then that'll totally minimize the time where I'm being asked to take any responsibility and Tom Cruise's character in this movie is I think one of those kinds of guys who is suddenly forced out of necessity to be all right you are you are 100% on deck for this and you have to step you have to take responsibility and you have to look after your kids and you suddenly have to be very interested in figuring out what they can eat and how to reassure them in these situations you know and how to how yeah, to help especially when his daughter's like having a panic attack in the car like as they're speeding around and he's kind of like I'm not telling you what's going on because you're too young to understand and they're like what the fuck yeah, yeah like, he treats them helping. like they're <laughs> strangers kids almost because he just not a good dad yep. yeah so I mean it's night time so they go to sleep in the basement. Uh, Rachel's kind of argumentative. She's just like, well, if you're saying everything's okay here, why can't I just sleep in my bed? I've got back problems. <laughs> it's a very funny thing for a young child to say. 
I think it's this point where I'm one of the criticisms I feel like this movie gets, which uh, a little bit fair, is his kids are a bit annoying. And I think a lot of that's on Ray, the character, because he doesn't explain anything and he doesn't treat them, you know, doesn't treat him that well. And so the son's a, a jerk to him. But the daughter is just intense the whole time. Like she's just asking a million questions and then starts screaming a lot of the time. So there's at this point where I'm like, shh. Just do what your dad says. Oh my god, <laughs> which is maybe why I shouldn't have kids. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess I I like Dakota Fanning's performance in this movie. In that, often the issue with child actors is that you know they often sort of are expected to either act in a way where they're like very worldly and just speaking to the other adults like they're adults, which is kind of a weird vibe, you know. Mm. And also, it it means that they're not acting like a kid. It's just yeah. kind of a weird trope but yeah I, f- I feel like she does kind of a, a good job of walking that line between you know she's a kid who has her own issues of like trust with her dad and everything but also yeah is extremely scared throughout the whole thing mm. you know I think my thing is if, if there was just maybe 10% less screaming yeah I probably and that's just from a uh, yeah, oral kind of <laughs> point of view, really. I mean, I imagine if I was a small child in that situation, I would be screaming a lot too, or just passing out in terror. Yes. So, yeah, they go to sleep in the basement. Obviously, during the night, they hear the lightning coming back and some other horrible noise. They're like, have no idea. Everything starts going to hell again, and they just kind of duck into this little room full of pipes just off the basement that they, like, as a wall of flame comes like hurtling into the house. And yeah, it, it, it yeah. sounds, it sounds like you know the world is caving in on top of the house it's yes literally what it actually is we find out as ray leaves the house the next morning is that a giant passenger plane fell down and parts of it landed on their house and like so when he walks out like it's really light because you know walls are missing and there's a giant like jet engine just kind of burning in the lounge room and as he walks out it's just this huge fucking plane lying on the ground which i have seen in real life because at universal studios in LA they actually have that set like they use the same props and everything but the actual plane they actually have it all oh, set wow. up which last time I saw I wasn't a Tom Cruise fan so I was like oh I love this movie but I didn't pay that much attention and I deeply regret it because I don't know if I'll ever be able to see it again yeah apparently it's a it's a real 747 like a real disused yeah. 747 that they that they dragged out there to use for this thing that'd be so much fun like they got to smash it up yeah <laughs> which again I I think of as that one of those sort of trademarks of that sort of big budget Steven Spielberg filmmaking you know like these sort of massive sets Mm. that they're moving around through these big set pieces that and I don't know I think of things like you know like Poltergeist and stuff which he didn't direct but the story is always that he was like the executive producer and kind of had a very strong Mm. hand in helping Toby Hooper do a lot of stuff but yeah like a lot of the sort of set design in and like set dressing in things like the Goonies and Poltergeist and things of that era always so I, I thought they always did a really good job of having like houses and stuff that looked very lived in like sort of real houses you know there's like a lot of a lot of movies that you watch like more sort of contemporary movies where every house just kind of looks like a big pristine McMansion sort of thing yeah whereas yeah in, in things like the Goonies you know the houses just look like a sort of real lived in suburban house um, and I feel like you know Ray's house in this looks like a house with somebody who's living in it and who's not taking good care of the place yeah. And, you know, that's sort of coupled with a lot of these 
scenes where they've built like this massive set and put you know torn a real jumbo jet in half just in order to get like that real sense of scale as they come out of the house and see the thing that dropped on them in the night you know yeah it's so good I would have loved to have been involved in a like all right we're gonna make it look like a plane crash on this a family's house I'm like oh yep. that's so cool he runs into a camera crew um they're raiding like the food carts from the airplane like grabbing bottles of water and everything one of them shows him they- some footage <laughs> They yeah they play a very helpful expositional role in. <laughs> Actually, we happen to film a whole bunch of this stuff and be able to show you footage from other news agencies. And we look at us if we slow it down right here, and they show that yes, obviously all the tripods were buried here a long time ago before humans built up on on things. But what's controlling them? And she's like, well, I can show you when the lightning comes down. If I freeze it here, you can see like this pod thing coming down in the lightning into the tripod, which is hectic. Imagine riding lightning down into things. Sounds like a good time. It's true. It just makes me makes me think of Metallica. <laughs> I think Ray was kind of like, there's more than one. And she's like, huh, huh. And shows oh, him footage buddy. of like <laughs> hundreds in the distance. Like one shot has like dozens you can see in the distance, let alone like that's just one bit of footage they filmed locally, let alone where it is all over the world. And Well, she says uh, basically anywhere that they appear or anywhere that the lightning storms have been happening and that they appear, news stops coming out of that place. They obviously leave the trashed house because not much they can do there. He gets Rachel to kind of like cover her eyes and not see anything because obviously she's had a couple of panic attacks already and I guess it would be pretty hectic to see that amount of damage. I just think thinking now there were no bodies or anything so was that an empty No, plane? not in the, in the Oh plane. no, they would have been blasted they probably just blasted them all with laser. Or got vaporised. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I guess that would be one consideration from the perspective of like although there is a scene later on that might uh, that might suggest what you're talking about. Well, literally as they drive off they stop because she's like I need to pee and she walks off too far and goes to a river and she looks and sees hundreds of bodies floating down and you know freaks her out quite a lot yeah i guess something about this movie that i really love i mean like two, two things that i really love about this movie one of which is the pacing like i said the the movie starts off really quickly it's not like a lot of movies particularly big budget ones where you know they spend like a third of the runtime setting up all the characters and introducing people and all that sort of stuff. They do like five or ten minutes of setting up the characters and the family dynamic and then it's just go, go, go. It's like uh, the the entire movie from that point out is set piece to set piece to set piece. Mm. Just the transition into, you know, this thing coming out of the ground, him running away from it, them getting in the car and getting out of the city, them having the plane drop on them, then immediately moving off to, yeah, her... like And, and the, the pairing of those scenes as well because he's just gone to all the effort of like blindfolding her and carrying her to the car and saying don't look don't look yep you don't need to see anything. And a big part of his priorities at this point are, I'm trying to protect her from all of this. I'm trying to stop yes. her from having to see any of this, you know. I'm trying to shield her from all of that stuff because, you know, that's my role as a father. And like you said, in the very next scene, she says that she she needs to pee and gets out of the car and walks away. And he's saying like, well, you know, you got to just go here. And she's like, I can't go while you're watching. 
And he said, he's like, well, stay in sight. And she's like, that's still watching. <laughs> Being able to see me is still watching. And so, you know, she she goes away from him and is out of, you know, out of his line of sight and is down by this river. And as she's standing there, you know, this body floats past in the water, which is already kind of horrifying, you know, for like a 10-year-old or whatever to be, you know, like a, like a 10 or 12-year-old standing there seeing this dead body. And then down the river comes more and more and more and just the entire river is full of dead bodies floating past and you get the uh the classic Spielberg face I don't know if you're familiar with the the Spielberg yep. face where he always has those moments in his movies where you experience the thing that's happening by also seeing the character's face as they take in the thing that's happening yep. on screen so yeah you get to see her horror as she witnesses you know these like hundreds of of corpses floating down the river especially yeah after her dad's been like kind of shielding her from seeing the worst of it and then all of a sudden yeah now she knows exactly how fucked it is yeah and and like i said i I feel like a lot of this is kind of interesting you know commentaries on parenting dynamics and like trying to you know like is your role as a parent to like shield your kids from things or to help them deal with them yeah you know because like i i feel like we've sort of established by this point that all the effort he goes to to try and like stop uh his daughter from even knowing that any of this stuff is happening is pointless in the end Mm -hmm. it's all a complete waste of time much like you know anything else in life you can spend forever trying to say to your kids no uh let's just not talk about that thing and that's like almost the worst kind of parenting you can do because uh they're going they're going to find out one way or or the other yeah what if we simply pretended that this didn't exist and it turns out that that was not helping her process the situation instead of you know reassuring her and telling her this is what you're gonna see and then i'm here for you and so on and so forth like i said bad dad but he's doing it at this point he is trying his best he's like, doing he's- his darndest <laughs> Although, like, he and Robbie have another fight uh, because Robbie, who's starting to become a real arsehole at this point, in my opinion, he sees all these army vehicles go past full of soldiers and he's just like, we have to go help. Like, we, we have to go get these guys. You know, a dock worker and his two children are going to be any help whatsoever. And they have a big fight about it. And he's like, yeah, well, how about we find a plan that's not doesn't involve your 10-year-old, do- 10-year-old sister joining the army? And I feel like this is another... Uh, this is- another 9-11 parallel here where you know he sees this column of of tanks and military guys going past and he's like stop and let me on and he's like why why do you want to go and he's like to get them back yeah to get back at them and it just it makes you think of like after 9-11 how many people would have like signed up for the marines or the army or anything because they're like oh we have to get revenge on behalf of our country Mm. Uh, i guess the other thing that would be uh, an accurate parallel would be people who would have signed up to take some kind of revenge against who they don't actually even know (laughs) you know and in this case he's just like them whoever it is them i want to go and get back at him and he just has this blind rage you know yeah i can't sympathize i can't relate at all uh i'm like (laughs) good day sirs and do a good job i'm out of here so yeah they have a bit of a a scuffle about that and robbie points out like what do you care you clearly just want to get us back to our mum so that you can just get rid of us and look after just yourself again which i don't think ray consciously thought that but definitely i think that was probably a subconscious thing where it's like i don't know what the fuck i'm doing they're better off with their mum and i can 
can fend for myself kind of thing. Yeah, Which, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, uh, I think, no, I would totally agree with that assessment of maybe he wasn't consciously processing it that way. But like I was saying before about dads who are not particularly proactive in anything that they do, for a lot of them, the first impulse is, oh, I'd better get them back to someone who knows what they're doing. Uh, that's mum's job. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. They continue driving. Ray gets Robbie to drive so he can have a little sleep, Like he, which I think he's, he's trying to do is like, uh, I'm going to connect with my son a little bit because his son, you know, nicked his car, even though he's unlicensed. And well, it's a, it's. I feel like it's a, it's a gesture. He's attempting, yeah, you know, some some reconciliation with him. Also, he's probably very fucking tired at this point. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> and and the moment right after this as well, I find quite sweet, which is that as as Ray's asleep in the passenger seat, so they're headed towards the ferry. They want to get the car onto the ferry so that they can get across uh, a river and get to Boston. And as they're getting closer to it, there's more and more people by the side of the road because nobody else's cars work uh, walking and it starts to turn into like a thick crowd Mm. and Robbie's not sure what he should be doing at this point, you know? And so he says like, Ray, Ray, dad and it's only when he says dad that like ray sort yeah. of kicks awake which i which i found like a very sort of sweet thing of like a, a dad sort of being shocked awake out of his sleep by hearing his kid call out to him instead of responding to his own name i, I like that too it's very cute obviously as i hinted at it before things don't go super well at this point because there are lots of people who can't walk very fast because there's so many people so the car can't go very fast and people are like that car's working and it's a minivan and there's lots of room and I'm sick of walking and Mm. a car would be a safer way to transport me myself and my family so obviously they start hammering on the car and it becomes like this mass hysteria of we have to stop him we have to get the car for ourselves so they start getting quite violent smashing the car throwing things he like Ray and Robbie swap over so Ray's driving again they eventually get to a point where they try and zoom off but (laughs) actually (laughs) don't like this bit at all but like the headlights hit a woman standing in the middle of the road with a baby Mm. and they're like and then he has a swerve and crash and like oh come on that's a little bit too cliche they get stopped and they get dragged out and like you know everyone's in a frenzy they start beating up Robbie and Ray who are trying to fight because Rachel is still in the car Ray happened to have brought a gun from home which you kind of see snippets of every now and then up until this point and he you know starts shooting in the air and like gets rid of everyone except another guy with a gun and I'm surprised more people didn't have guns (laughs) at this point to be honest but makes him drop the gun takes the car like he managed to get Rachel out to safety, which is his main concern. Uh, they don't have anything, any belongings with them. So as long as he gets his two kids out, he's fine. And, you know, they hurry off, go sit in a diner and like an abandoned diner to kind of take shelter and reassess. And you can see out the window, like the car takes off and then you hear someone else picks up the gun that Ray dropped and yeah, there's more gunshots and the car speeds off and crashes. And yeah, that car helped no one at that point. Yeah, it's a nice, um, it's a nice little sequence there of, of you know him uh, firing into the air and then having the other guy put the gun you know behind his ear and dropping his own gun and then it's it's all kind of one long shot there as he gets Rachel out of the car and you know they all band together and the other guy gets into the car and starts reversing away and then it just pans down to the gun that's still on the ground and it kind of all happens in this one one fluid shot kind of telling the whole story yeah by that point I think he's like crying in the diner he's completely you know, shattered 
it. Like, yeah. You know, you would have felt like you could accomplish a lot having a working vehicle when no one else does. And now that's been taken away from them. It's like, yeah, pretty full on. So they keep moving. They're like huge crowd. They're all just kind of shuffling towards the ferry. Just about, I think the sign said like three miles away. They run into someone that Ray knows, a, a woman and her child. And they're like, okay, stick, stick together. We'll get in the ferry and we'll hopefully get to safety. Except Rachel turns around when she sees some birds flying and she looks and goes, notices the trees are kind of moving off in the distance. And obviously it's a tripod coming to get them. Probably attracted to massive groups of people yeah. moving and muttering to themselves. Yeah, so there's mass panic again. And the ferry, like the captain or whatever, the ferry is kind of like, ah, we're, we're just going to get out of here. And they start pulling away and Ray's like, what are you doing? It's not full. So everyone's like trying to scramble on. Absolutely fucking chaos. And they manage to get on, but the, the woman and her cho- her child, they get separated from straight away. And like, as the ferry pulls away, it like knocks people over when the, whatever it's tied up to, the bollard thing, and they just rip it out and start fucking fanging it. Yep. There's like, there's cars falling off. <laughs> Robbie, like, because he's now got this hero complex he's suddenly developed. He's like trying to pull people on who are clinging to the sides and everything. But I feel like there's a, there's another nice moment there though, where, um, you know, there's, so they've, they've sort of got the, uh, I don't know what you would call it, like the kind of, the, the ramp, you know, the retractable yeah. ramp that they would put down for cars to drive off the ferry. And that's come up and there's all these people hanging off the other side and Robbie's climbed up and he's helping pull people over. Over. And they have this shot of Ray looking up at him and seeing him, you know, do something selfless and like, I guess, total stereotype. But he's sort of, he's looking at him as, you know, oh, my child is like, he's being a man. You know, he's actually out there helping and like doing something independent and everything. I feel like the, that's sort of, I think, one of the moments where he does start to see him as an adult instead of, yes. you know, my kid that I want to make play catch with me in the backyard. Yeah, because it's like yelling at him to stay with them and everything. And then, yeah, when he realises he's not just doing something to be an asshole teenager, he's actually doing something to help other people. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, not just an adult, but just like a human being with who can make his own decisions and is trying to do something good for others, which, you know, at this point, Ray hasn't really cared about any other people. It's just about him and his family. Mm. Unfortunately, they're not safe on the ferry. Straight away, you see some lights on under the water and there's a tripod bubbling under there ready to fuck them up and yeah tips over oh i think they do the sound under the water too yeah tripod sound sounds real cool yeah not much they can do there's the ferries to tip over people are getting knocked into the water and all the cars are starting to spill over into the water as well so when ray and the kids get knocked under like a car comes and like pushes them down further into the water while there's like a family struggling inside horrifying no thanks i know i was just thinking i'm like and also because i guess the cars would have been they've been working or they've been dead like i was trying to work out i think it it generally depends on uh, the way so the way i took it was that the lightning storms uh, where where the aliens ride the lightning into the tripods mm. are the thing that does an electromagnetic pulse and knocks out all of the power in the surrounding area. So if people have been far away enough from any of those things to like have a vehicle that's working, that that might help them then out. Then I'm like, but then why were those people earlier so cunty about them having a car if other people have been driving around with cars? I guess if they're, yeah, because there are those, there are, 
those shots of like, you know, all of the like abandoned cars on the highway. And that's another thing I noticed too with the uh, camera crew, their van was working and I'm like, hmm, how'd they get that working? Was it just a savvy mechanic around who could... Uh... I'm, I'm just assuming it's, uh, it was, it's purely like your relative closeness to the tripods when they've appeared. I assume so. I'm also assuming that Steven Spielberg hopes that people wouldn't think about that too much. <laughs> but I did. <laughs> yeah, so they get knocked in the water, get knocked right under the water. Great underwater, terrifying sequence of um, thinking you're going to be drowned. Like, you know, you could be killed by an alien or you might just drown trying to get away from one, which is terrifying. Also, looks super cold. Apparently it was very cold time of year that they were filming as well. Yeah, bad time. I can't imagine being in that water at anything below like 30 degrees. And yeah, yeah it, looked, it looked fucked. Like, imagine like you get away from the aliens. You're like, oh, we're going to be fine. Except now I'm dying from hypothermia. Getting dunked in there, fully clothed. One of my kids was doing a swim safety thing at school. So like mm. the school had a thing where like every day of the week she was going and doing like, um, you know, some swim safety thing at the pool. And one of the days they get them to take clothes, like button up pajamas sort of thing and wear them over the top of their swimmers. And then they like toss them off a boat and you have to take off your, your clothes in the water because the thing that they're sort of trying to prepare you for is if you fall off a boat or something and you are like fully clothed and all of your clothes immediately become very wet and heavy and start drowning you and everything, you need to be able to like stay calm and figure out what's going on and like oh, get, yeah. get them off you, you know. I was just like, nobody ever did anything like that with us when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Nobody ever said it. we're going to throw you fully clothed in there. And so, uh, as kids, we would have been lucky if they put a like life preserver on us if we were on the boat. While all our family were drunk steering the boat. Yep. Because the eighties, baby. That's right. They, I mean, they get out. Oh, that's one thing that I thought was really cool. That the tripods, you first for the first time, you see they have these weird tendril things, and they're actually going in, and each tendril individually picks up a person and like sucks it back up. Just so they're not just blasting them; they're collecting people too for reasons we'll find out soon. They they get to shore and they see you know, there's tripods everywhere, terrorizing everyone as they're kind of walking through this foresty kind of area. It's just nonstop clothes just raining down on them. So people getting blasted and I don't know, God knows what. And then just, yeah, people's human clothes just falling down like soft, gentle snow. It's very beautiful and terrifying. Yeah. Again, that kind of, that gave me a little bit of the 9-11 vibe of like the people jumping from the buildings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just the kind of dead bodies falling sort of thing and just stuff this just like debris and like stuff that, that fell that was just people's belongings falling from the towers probably yeah. would have been really full-on yeah yeah i think there's there's several sort of scenes like that uh in this like the one where uh rachel's seeing you know all the bodies floating down the river or they're seeing all the clothes falling because like the way it's filmed as well is kind of yeah in a forest at night time looking upwards so everything above them is kind of like ink black yeah and the clothes are just sort of becoming visible as they fall down through yeah it's it's absolutely the kind of shot where like if you tried to pick apart too much the logistics of like yeah why why are there a whole bunch of sets of clothes falling on exactly this location in such a centralized way or why why were there suddenly hundreds of bodies appearing in the river at that exact moment like i think you know i wouldn't be trying to get too caught up in the logistics of those things because they're absolutely like some of the most sort of memorable images of the whole film yeah it's just yeah just meant to make us feel horrified they represent all the people who have died mm. so it's daylight uh they're back with lots of people walking and 
and Robbie is like hurrying along and they're struggling to keep up with him and getting annoyed at him for hurrying. Uh, they see lots of more soldiers and tanks and everything going by and they're sort of over the hill. They're starting, you can tell, you can hear, they're fighting the tripods and Robbie's like hurrying towards that because he wants to join. Ray tries to stop him. He like tells Rachel to stay here. I need to need to get your brother. And like they kind of have like this intimate moment where he's like, you, you can't do this. Like it's not your job to fight them. And he's like, I have to, blah, blah, blah. And he's basically, he has to say goodbye to his son and let him go because at the same time, Rachel is being taken away by a concerned citizen who is trying to take her away, thinking that she's this little girl left alone. Yeah. And he's kind of like, who do I pick? The kid who wants, who needs me or the kid who wants to go off and do what he wants to do. Yeah. And like, I think as well, um, that whole scene with his son has all of those parallels between, uh, you know, the, the son effectively like being an adult and wanting to join the military. And, you know, he says to him, like, I need to see this, you know, like he has a real thing of like, I, I need to go and witness this thing that's happening. And yeah, like it's it's that choice between, uh, like you're saying, have, having either his son, who I think he's, he's kind of realizing at this point is an adult and is grown and can go and, you know, do his own thing and looking after his daughter who really, really needs him and in a very, very immediate sense in that moment. Yes. And they have, uh, you know, they have that kind of lingering shot of him because he's kind of, he's sort of tackled Robbie as he's scrambling up a hill. Yeah. And, you know, as Robbie turns and starts going back up the hill again, they have that shot of him actually just letting him go, you know, like letting him slip out of his hands uh, as he runs away. And I think, yeah, that that kind of, um, yeah, that whole parenting thing of looking after the kid who actually has your immediate needs. Yeah, when, when Robbie's sort of saying, I want to go and get them back, he has completely different priorities to Ray at that point because Robbie doesn't have kids you know Robbie's like become an adult and he can be in charge of his own decisions but he also doesn't have to be responsible for anybody else whereas Ray's been put in the position which arguably he should be in already as a dad yeah. uh, but he's been put in the position where he has to think about other people and he has to put other people before himself and like you said um, you know sort of Robbie was, was doing something on the ferry where he's going out of his way he's potentially putting himself in harm's way to help other people which Ray hasn't been doing to this point because to this point Ray's number one priority has just been I have to look after my kids and if that means you know pushing this mechanic out of the car so that I can close the door and move with my kids or you know sort of hustling everyone along while while you know what is about to happen to everybody else or you know the realization everyone around you is about to have and you're just trying to get a head start. Yeah. You know, that's his priority in those situations is he has to be responsible for other people, but Robbie doesn't have that. No. Robbie just has his priorities of, I want to feel like I'm taking some kind of action. I want to feel like I'm doing something proactive. I'm young and I think I'm going to live forever and surely I won't get killed in this (laughs) war, you know? He says as he runs over the hill and Ray gets back to Rachel and then there's a huge big explosion. Exactly the place that Robbie had run to and you know like a hammer comes flying down and you know Ray screams and is kind of like well that was the end of my son I guess that's it admittedly does not look great for Robbie in that moment. No, it doesn't, except... But before we get on to that, we've been talking for ages and we've still got a fair way to go in this movie. So, Andrew, we'll wrap it up here and we'll do a two-part episode. Before we go, where can we find you online? You can find me on the podcast Bunta Vista. Just go to 
buntavista.com. And, uh, yes, much like to... last week with Ben, your <laughs> co-host of the same podcast. Yes, that's right. Go to where you can find Ben and then you can find me <laughs> by association with Ben. No, go to uh, buntavista.com and you can find the podcast, find the merchandise, find all the things we're doing. Awesome. And for me, if you would like to check me out online, it's Tom Cruise Reviews on Instagram, Tom Cruise Review, no S, on Twitter and TomCruiseReviews.com for everything else. We'll leave it there and we will continue on with our review of War of the Worlds next week. Thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time. Bye.